Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 150, February 2022. This month our guest is John Maybe, a playwright and mental health counselor from Atlanta, Georgia. A couple of months ago I came across John's work by being cast in a short play of his as Satan. I'll say no more on that subject for now, but hey... His star is rising this year. He's the latest winner of the Mildred and Albert Panowski playwriting competition with his play, A Complicated Hope. We are definitely going to talk about that and all of the other amazing things he's been doing. Where should we start? Oh my God, there's so many different places to start. There's so many things I want to talk about with you. It's um, almost like a play. Where do we start this play? In the beginning? We, oh middle? my God, where, where do you start your plays? Oh, I, I, great segue into the question. I love it. <laughs> That's what I'm known for, it. segues. That's me, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, I, I'm i very, even when I write nonlinear plays, I always start my plays at the beginning um, because I need to know, I have a solid foundation um, from which I can build. But once I start at the beginning, mm-hmm. I'll sometimes race ahead and I have a scene in my mind that I'm dying to write, that I haven't gotten there yet, but I really want to write the scene. Yeah. So I'll do that and then connect it back later. Okay. Um, I do kind of the same thing. So do you know what kind of play it's going to be before you start putting the words down? Mm. Yes, with a okay. caveat. I don't always know where it's going exactly, but I know the tone. I know if if this is a play that I really want you laughing or if it's a play that I, I want you feeling all the feels yeah. or if it's a play that's a bit darker, uh, that wouldn't that is you have to be really ready yourself for something horrific. Um, like I know the tone, but right. not always where it's going. OK, that's interesting because um, a lot of playwrights, myself included, have to know the ending to know. Mm what kind of play it's going to be. So has the endings, have your endings ever surprised you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always surprised. I love writing myself into corners where I'm like, <laughs> ah, like how, how am I getting out of this? Or have I just dug myself into a hole? Uh, I, I will write myself into holes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't always have a sense of the ending. I get a sense of the ending as I'm writing, but not at the start. So have you ever written yourself into a hole you can't get out of? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I, I've, I've, I've written myself into plot holes and into emotional plot holes that I'm like, well, this was going to be a full length play, but I'm on scene two and I've essentially ended the play. Like the arc is over, the journey is over and I can't get any more out of it. And so what was going to be a much longer, bigger story just is a very short one act. What do you do with all the parts you couldn't fit in there? I have documents, George, of uh, unused scenes and dialogue for just about every play mm-hmm. that I cut out or that I wrote that didn't fit, yeah. that I loved, but I just couldn't get rid of. Interesting. So have you ever used them again? No. You know, I, I, I have pages and pages for every play of dialogue I've never used. 
Um, the one exception is I have a, a very old fashioned system. I have a notebook where I keep my favorite lines uh, and those lines come from those unused pages, like just a, a, a quote from a character or a, a turn of phrase, something I love. And I'll use yeah. those in later plays, but never like the big chunks of pages. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you, do you write down stuff as it occurs to you in the middle of, let's say, dinner parties or driving to the store or something? Yes, I have the world's most understanding husband. Uh, I We will be in the middle of a TV show and I will say, oh my gosh, I feel inspired. I, I figured something out and I'll pause it and I'll go run away to my office and I will write that down. Or we're out, we're out for a walk and suddenly I'm on my phone. I say, wait, and I'm on the notes function of my phone. Uh, or at 3 a.m. when I wake up and turn on the lamp, because I know if I don't write it down, I'm gonna forget this in the morning. And you always do. Oh, always. Yeah. Like if anyone listening ever says, oh, I'll remember this later. We will tell you, you will not. will not remember <laughs> this later. No, it's, it's, it's not a thing solely for playwrights. I think it's for all writers, but unless we mm. get that magical piece of epiphanal inspiration jotted down it's going to disappear yeah it's going back into the ether and it's going to go find another playwright who's not going to ignore it I that think. is a beautiful way to think about inspiration yeah yeah i it's like karma you know it's sort of an indescribable unknowable intangible metaphysical supposition yet Part of me thinks because we can't see it and because we can't quantify it, it still must exist. Yeah. And I've, I've always loved the idea of these little bits of inspiration, little bits of information just floating through the ether, you know, going here and there, you know, according to whatever electrical charge attracts it yeah. and seeing who's going to pay attention to it. Yes. And that almost makes it spiritual, like, you know, believing in something that like a, you know, religious figure, a God that you can't see that isn't tangible, but you believe is there. Yeah. Um, that's how inspiration is. I wish I knew where it came from or how it worked. But when it's working, I know it. And yeah. when it's not with me, I also know it. Oh, we know that real well. <laughs> just It's called staring yeah. at the page. It's like this. Right now, yeah. I just have this totally blank look. I'm staring at the screen. I'm leaning on my hand, and I am the epiphany, uh, the, 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 the very picture of why am I even here? Yes. Yeah. Like a vessel waiting to be filled, and I'm just waiting. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, a, it's a, a tough place to be. I'd say it's almost like what a, a drug might feel like, where when I'm in the zone. I'm in this yeah. state of flow where it's just, it's pouring out of me. Yeah. And then later there's this withdrawal of, well, how do I get it back? What do I have to do? You ever feel like having a cigarette after writing a really good scene? <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm not, I'm not a smoker, but that feeling that visual. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like there are, there are just so some of those scenes that I finished and I'm like, that was good. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. 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 Me, and, me and the characters were all sitting around having a cigarette going, was that good for you? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Tell me about your right. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think that 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 really comes from the characters tell you when, like, this is what I did say. This is what I sound like. This is what I say. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. How often do your characters surprise you? I mean, let's put it this way. Because I, I want to ask you what your process is from starting to finish, but I want to get to this first because I'll forget it later. And it happens <laughs> to me a lot. You know, I'm writing. I know where the play is going. And I know I'm discovering who my characters are because the words are just coming out, you know. And all of a sudden, one of them says something completely different, and you know, than what I had expected. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um and I have to sit there and look at the page going, what, what are you doing? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I know that feeling. And I know for me, it's a feeling of um, panic that the character has said something through me that I didn't realize was there. Um, there's, uh, there's a character who's very dear to me that she says something incredibly cruel to another character who's very vulnerable. And it made me so sad that she said this thing to him. And I was angry with her, but I was also forgetting that I wrote it. Like I was angry with her, not with myself. Um, and it was, it was a powerful feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's you get mad at your characters. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't know you were going to do... Now i got to rethink everything I'm doing. You know, and it disrupts your flow, but it takes the play. I've never had it defeat a play. I've never had it destroy the vision that I was intending. It's always mm. made the play more interesting, at least as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, it's... it's me with my work and you with your work and other playwrights with theirs, our objectivity is somewhere near zero on the, on, on the scale. Yeah. Everything's subjective. And yeah. we see things that the audience doesn't. Um, and that's a question for later, whether or not that's valid or whether or not we did something wrong. But... But I think when you are when you are surprised yeah. by your own character, the audience will be surprised as well. Because if you didn't see it coming, mm -hmm. they're not going to see it coming. And as an audience member, like watching one of your plays, George, that isn't very exciting for me if I'm surprised. Yeah, it's the joy that this is what we do. This this is why we sit here for all these hundreds of hours, waiting for these little itsy bitsy moments of of. of inspiration to just <laughs> land themselves on the on the <sighs> so yeah what hap yeah what happens because you've written a bunch i was looking through your website and you've got scads of 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 plays out there a couple that i know um a couple that i really want to know um mm. and aside from making satan a very sympathetic character which was <laughs> so much so much fun to play you were uh, brilliant Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you really, you really, really were. Like, I enjoyed that immensely. I'm so glad. It's pleasing the playwright is is the number one thing. Um, being one myself. And it's, yes, pleasing the audience is fine. But also, you wrote such a fun script that it was easy to just take it and kind of run with it. Mm. Especially since there was no director involved. 
Yeah. All right. Which I always find a little chancy. Right. I'm, I'm, in one sense, I'm, I'm kind of traditional. I like to have somebody there who's, who's got their hand on, on the stick. Um, yeah. And I know me as an actor, I will go with ideas and just fly with them. Yeah. Which I, as a director, I always encourage my actors to do because then I can always pull them back and do something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that play was just so much fun. And I was having a hard time trying not to laugh while we were doing it. <laughs> oh, George, that's the best compliment. Well, good. There's probably more coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. B- because I'm a geek and I, I, I love talking about the process, you get an idea for a play. What makes it the idea you're going, let's say it's a full length. What makes it the idea you're going to invest all this time in? And... Mm. How do you write it? What's your process? I mean, are you alone? Do you write in public? Um, is there research involved? Go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, for me the the spark is really about the characters. Uh, I've I actually cannot think of a time I started a play with the plot in my head. It always came from characters inhabiting the world and then figuring out where those characters are currently living and what they're doing. But it always starts with character. It has to be a character that I'm fascinated by or more often confused by because I usually write from a place of confusion mm-hmm. where I'm trying to figure something out. Um, and it could be something very personal, like in my own life, um, uh, going through loss or grief yeah. and, and, and trying to figure that out and thinking of a character that I want to explore that through. But it always comes down to character and, and a question that I have that I explore through them. And um, I don't know if you know this, George, but I also have an improv background. Yes, so, I was going to na- get to that one later because improv scares the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, yes. Like it is, it's, it, improv is a very incredibly scary place to be because you are the performer and the writer yeah. at the same time. And so there's no chance to edit or to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I improv a lot at the start of a play with my characters. Um, I used to do it out loud, but uh, since my husband and I are now sort of sharing the same space more, it's it's a bit vulnerable to be talking yeah. out loud to myself with other people in the space. Uh, and so now it's more in my head, but I'll talk to them and I'll pretend like we're in a scene to together to get a flavor of what they sound like um their rhythm of speech their uh if they if they're careful with their words or if they speak without thinking um are they a bit more fast and loose with uh uh, cursing or uh, sexual innuendo or a bit more conservative Mm -hmm. or do they try to mask that i get all that down first before i ever start writing them on the page okay all right. Um, and because I am the master of segues, this is going to lead directly into something you've already mentioned. Uh, when you were talking about writing about things that you were curious about and needed to figure out, are plays a form of therapy? Are writing plays a form of therapy? All right, for both the playwright and and possibly for the audience. I mean, no. playwrights write things we kind of already know we they, they take situations that we're that we're familiar with 
and they explore them. Um, in a sense, are we making our characters our therapists? Mm. Uh, yeah, this question is near and dear to me with my background. And I might be a bit biased, but uh, my background no, is in mental health counseling. Yeah, yes. so uh, it gives me a very unique perspective on um, that question. And in my training as in my uh, graduate training as a counselor, there was so much introspection about like interrogating my own beliefs about myself and about the world that I bring all of that into my writing and into my characters. So for me, writing is such a form of therapy. It's, it's getting out the things in my subconscious and in my head that I, I dream about and obsess about. And it gives me a playground to explore all of it. Um, and I think it's true for an audience as well, because what safer place can you really be than a theater where you're not the one who's performing or whose words are being said, but you're able to eavesdrop on the lives of people going through those issues. So in, in that way, absolutely, it's a form of therapy. For me, it, it diverges a bit in that I write characters that could very much use therapy, but are are 99% of the time not in therapy. And so the choices that they make yeah. are bad choices. And so That's as why a we therapist, have theater, yeah. theater is all about bad choices. <laughs> totally. Theater is all about bad choices. So as a, a therapist, the therapist side of me is no, this is a very maladaptive decision you've made in your life as the playwright, like, oh, that's good. Do it. Do mm -hmm. more of it. Yes. Do you believe in, because you were just talking about eavesdropping on the characters that are going through emotional difficulty or societal difficulty, or, I mean, there are so many issues these days and, and they've yeah. always been there. Okay. Theater is just starting, I think, just starting in its, in its capacity to reflect those issues from people of different backgrounds, people of different races, people of different genders, people of different, you name it. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, it's a way of exploring this in public. So this is kind of like two prong. Do you believe in trigger warnings and how do you feel about, well, let's put it this way. You've got a play that either features a gunshot or it features a rape or it features something physically, emotionally traumatic. Um, and it's happening on stage. We can believe. We can put it behind that fourth wall and we can do that. But there are people in the audience who've probably lived through that. Yeah. Uh, I've had arguments with people about uh, from other playwrights and producers that say, do not put trigger warnings up there. You will dilute the effectiveness of the play and you are giving things away and I am 100% against that um, that said do you ever do trigger warnings or do you put list them in, in your script or when you write these things do you think about your audience yeah I'm uh, wow that's su such a great question especially right now 
thinking about theater and how everything lately has been, of course, virtual and, right. and we're slowly getting back to the stage um, with what we're, even what we're doing right now. Like we're not in the same room together. Uh, it's a, a different experience than if we were side by side in a room chatting. Yeah. And so I feel like when I'm watching TV and at the start of a TV show or uh, a film, there'll be usually like a box, you know, on the, t- the top of the screen, like just some words going across, you know, this might have, you know, the following um, course language, nudity, uh, and, and, and there might be a list of things that uh, uh, more often than not, like I don't often see all of what they've warned me about in the episode. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an overwarning. So now I'm at the point I see those warnings and I don't even pay attention anymore because I, I, I don't know what I'm going to get. Yeah. But for me, a play is so different because uh, an in-person stage play, because you're in the same room together and you're watching something on stage that uh, might be something about uh, assault uh, or uh, an attack, uh, whether it's verbal or physical or emotional. And it's so much more personal because you're in the same room together than if you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel with plays, with stage, in-person stage plays, if there is something in the play where it's not just being talked about, but you're actually witnessing a horrific act, yeah. I think you have a responsibility to share that with your audience because some people might say, ah, okay, great. This is a play that if I were to buy a ticket and sit there and this happens on stage in front of me, I'm going to stand and walk out of that room. So for the sake of everyone, Mm -hmm. for audience members, for me, for the performers on stage, it's good if I know that in advance. Good. Um... As part of your process, because I'm, I'm not familiar with all of your work, so, uh, but I'd like to be. Do well, you thank write, you. That's a huge compliment. Well, so far what I've seen, I've liked a lot. Um, when it comes to writing scenes like that, do you go, do you go there? And if you do go there, what is that like for you? Mm. I, 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 It's hard. I had an experience with one of my first full-length plays um, that was produced uh, for the stage. I had written a scene where there was a a, a fight between two male characters. um, And the physical fight was so important to the story and to sexuality and to identity Mm -hmm. and what the physical fight actually meant. And when it was read by the artistic director, there was a big misunderstanding that the, it was just gratuitous violence. uh, And it, it, it wasn't honored or respected or or treated in a way in which it was written. And that was my first experience of, if I'm gonna put something into a play that is emotionally charged, that is like a, a aggressive physical act, and it's mm-hmm. something deeply personal to me, I have to be ready that it's going to be misunderstood. Uh, and that even when I try to talk about it, the person on the receiving end might not be in a place where they can understand it either. And so I'm careful now if I put something that is so emotionally charged into my play, that means a lot to me, but might be misunderstood. 
And so I've, I've reined that in a bit for myself. Right. I always wonder about doing things like that because life is not always pretty and life is frequently vicious. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I know having been to certain plays, many of which people will know, I have sat there and watched things that not only made my skin crawl, but it just, I debated getting up and walking out. Mm. And I've sat through nearly all of these things and nearly all of these things did pan out to be, come out to be valid. They were just very, very difficult to watch. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think about responsibility as a writer myself because these are things that are out there and people don't talk about. And the people who have become victims of this don't talk about them in public. And it's a, in one sense, it's a responsibility to remind the public that, yes, life is not always pretty. And, you know, it's, it's, and seeing things happen on stage between two live people is much different than watching it in a movie. Oh, absolutely. Much there's, different. There's, and, yeah. and that's part of the magic of, of theater that you're, you're, I'll, I'll go back to saying also spiritual too, because it's just a group of people, like the audience together in this room, experiencing something on stage together that moves you that makes you laugh that makes you cry and the people on stage are also real life human beings and there's there's no there's no separation yeah there there there's no protective barrier to put the play on pause leave the room go get a drink of water and come back um mm -hmm. and when i write emotionally charged things now um that involve um let's say like a physical act um it's nothing i've written into my plays but i'll look at the aftermath um i what's more exciting to me and interesting to me is to look at how people have either dealt with or avoided dealing with traumatic incidents than seeing the incident itself yeah. um and so in that regard i'm very selective if i put anything traumatic on stage yeah you have but to. it's so variable because traumatic to someone might not be traumatic to someone else and so it's also subjective sure and people's experiences are across the endless spectrum um i'm going to change this up just a little bit and you have a quote which i absolutely love uh when your quote is, I love listening to people talk, especially the things they try not to say. And I'm mm. thinking, this man's a playwright. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, oh, there's that bugger subtext again. Um, especially the things they try not to say, because a play is a journey. And it's a journey of, of obstacles. It's a, it's a journey of hardship. Um, even if it's a comedy in sense, you know, it's just, mm. it, it, yeah. It's, it's a journey, and something's always different at the end. But especially the things they try not to say. Now, you are a mental health counselor. Yes. This is your yes. stock in trade, getting to a safe place where people can talk to themselves, reveal to themselves, 
because it's not really to you, it's to themselves, I think, where they can get to a point where they can find the strength and emotional balance to come to grips with something that is the big jigsaw puzzle piece that won't fit and is messing up the whole picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love listening to people talk too. And it's so interesting sitting on the edge of a conversation. People come up to me later and go, you hardly ever talk. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're my next play. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, I listen so much more than I talk, especially in a group setting. I, I, I am a kid in a candy store, just listening to conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm Sponge. I'm absorbing the way that people say the things that they're often trying not to say. Um, and the counseling is a huge part of that for me. I'll also say here, when I see um, anyone in a therapy session on television, it drives me um, uh, up the wall because I, uh, a TV and and some, sometimes even at a play therapist will often like just basically tell the per the, the the person who's in crisis like what's what's going on something be brilliantly insightful and how to get them back on track in real life. Uh, in a therapy session, you as the therapist, you have these things on the tip of your tongue, but you're not, you're actually not saying them. You're trying not to say them because your goal is to move the client in such a way mm-hmm. toward those answers themselves without you telling them. And so I, I get it for the sake of time, a TV therapist absolutely has to just say it. But yeah. real life therapy is so different. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually familiar with that concept. I grew up in New York <laughs> in the 80s, and if you didn't have at least two therapists, you weren't anybody. Yeah. <laughs> On a side note, talking about TV therapy and going back to Satan, I can tie this in real easy, being the master of segues, I was a big fan of the TV show Lucifer. Have you ever seen this? I, you know, I, I didn't watch the show start to finish, but I've seen parts of episodes. Okay, because he's the devil, and he has a therapist. And these are some of the best scripted TV therapy scenes. He, whatever his therapist says, he completely misinterprets and then goes out to wreak havoc across L.A. It's, um, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did you get started with, with mental health? What, what moved you into that uh, arena of life? You know, it's a funny story. I I was in uh, college and uh, I, I thought my career was going toward science. Uh, I was I was very much involved in uh, chemistry and biology, and I worked at a science lab. And um, I had a professor uh, uh, who I didn't know was going to be a mentor um, say to me one day. Why, uh, after, you know, long conversations we'd have in his office that were almost like therapy sessions, but neither one of us was the therapist. It was just a beautiful back and forth. And he said to me, why aren't you pursuing psychology? And it, it took someone saying that to me to make me really understand, even in my chemistry and biology classes, uh, I, I was almost like looking at the psychology of chemistry and the psychology of biology, and it's where I was going all along. And so once I was on that track in college, it led me to grad school and 
to what I loved most, which was what I do now as a playwright, mm-hmm. is just listening, observing, making insights, and then figuring out um, how to be with someone on their journey. And that's what I do as a counselor. It's what yeah. I do as a playwright. The art of listening and the art of empathy um, oh, are yeah. not easy. And they're not particular to, they're not universal, I think. Um, some people just have the knack for it. You, uh, you do in-person shows. Like You work this into, I've seen corporate team building events. Is is this an offshoot of of your mental health work? Because from working in corporate America, God, we need it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it, it's 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 also it, it actually comes from that, but also from my improv background, right. and that's why um, I, I used to. Um, uh, work with um, kids, like teenagers and those going into college who would be very anxious about what they were going to do in life. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I just laugh at that because it's like, well, there's, just, there's not one thing you'll be doing in life. You'll be doing many things in life. You're probably going to have many careers over the course of your life. And it's only in hindsight that you're going to figure out one thing led to the other. And then so for me in my journey, the counseling led to the improv, which led to the playwriting and the corporate work. All of it is so tied together. Um, I'll talk about the corporate aspect in yeah. with the improv as well. Uh, because I definitely the, want to get to your improv. I mean, I definitely want to get into maybe solo and talk about that. Oh, oh, good. oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah that's which, uh, as, as soon as I read the description of that, I was like, he has no fear whatsoever. <laughs> well, it all goes in, it all, it all, it all ties together. Like it all okay. ties together so beautifully in a way I never could have imagined. Um, and so the work I've done actually, uh, corporate work has, has been tied to the improv groups that I've been in uh, as an offshoot of that work. Uh, because with companies, I, I, I think there's there's a, a need and a drive for them all to basically engage in a group counseling session that is not counseling. Uh, and the perfect solution for that is improv team building. Right. Because with that, it's the group working together. It's the group um, talking about their learning styles, talking about um, how they see play. Uh, and I think for a corporation, you, you can't do that in a group therapy session, but you'll do that with improv. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was part of two of those things way, way back in the day. And one was in a room full of high school teachers and the other was in a room full of corporate middle management people. And the corporate middle management people were fine. It's it's it, it was an okay session. There, there there were no bombshells. The high school teachers. I really needed. I really hoped that they had people walking them around on the streets because some of them were just so twisted and dangerous with the things that oh, wow. they they came out with. Um, but it was an interesting thing to watch the process and to watch the person guiding the session. And I started noticing her picking up on certain words, picking up on body language, picking up on the way things were moving. She was one of the most attentive and quick thinking and mm. sympathetic 
people, even though we were all doing things we had no idea what we were going to do. I mean, we, we, yeah, we constructed a pasta person who had a colostomy bag. I mean, I don't know what we were even thinking. Right, right. Okay. Um, but she just exuded this unbelievable sense of safety. And I'm not sure how mm. many people actually picked up on that, but I started watching her. And it was wow. a really interesting thing to see how she was responding to people's answers because people would, you ask them a certain question and they cover up and they, they throw a joke out mm. and she would process that joke and come right back with something that was so on target. It was really interesting to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad to hear you say that too. And that you, you, and I think it's because you as a playwright, you're also so attuned to listening and watching that you picked up on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but it's, it's really good to hear because when I think, especially in a, a corporate setting, um, it's a different if you have an improv class where people sign up because they want to try this art form. It's different in a corporate setting because usually it's management uh, bringing this activity to you. And uh, everyone's at different levels of awareness of themselves and what's about to happen. And an improv boundary, I'd say an improv and in counseling, establishing those boundaries is key because uh, someone might actually treat the improv session or this corporate um, you know, session as a therapy session and suddenly disclose something deeply personal mm -hmm. um, that the rest of the group maybe isn't prepared to hear or doesn't know how to respond. And so it's that good coach, that good teacher that knows what to listen for and what to watch for and can set up the boundaries so that everyone does feel safe. Yeah, that's that's the trick, making everyone feel safe. And yet talking about things that they just need to vocalize, because once you vocalize something, it's real. It's out there. It's not hiding in the yeah. back of your head anymore. You know, it's it's for realsies in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about maybe solo, because like I said, that's you, you just walk on stage and improv your what do you do? So I, I have to tell you the, the story of how that happened, because if you would have told me years ago that I would do solo improv shows, um, just myself on stage, I really would never have believed you. Yeah. It's not something I had an interest in. Um, I was in a very weird time in my life. We had uh, my, my husband and I had just moved from New York to London. And it was a different country, a different culture, mm. but I had just started doing improv. And I thought, well, this would be a way to make friends and, and to meet people. And um, so I went to this improv event that was advertised where no one comes with a team. You show up, you meet people, you form a team on the night and you do you know, a, a scene as a group. And I thought, well, that sounds exactly what I'm looking for. So I showed up to this event and I could not have scripted it to be more tragically perfect because I showed up and it was just a bunch of people. And I would walk up to people and introduce myself and, and say that I was looking to be on a team that night. And group after group, as soon as I, I joined, would say, oh, you know, we, we, we just sort of formed our group for the night. Maybe you could find a different group. And I went from group to group and I could not have written it better as a tragically comic. No one wanted me in their group. And I, I felt, and I felt dejected. I felt rejected. And I started to leave. I stopped myself and I said, John, if you leave right now, 
this is setting you up for your experience in this new country. Like you, you're, you're not going to be brave enough to go back to these events if you leave right now. So I went back and I went to the organizer and I said, okay, look, here's the thing. Uh, I can't find a team. No one wants me. Can I just go on myself? And they were, they were very confused. But I said, you know what, like, I, if I leave now, I'm never going to come back and I just want to try it. And they said, sure. So I, I went up on stage, I asked for a suggestion. And I, it was my first experience writing, but on stage. Because um, when I write a play, it's me at the computer. And in that moment, it was just me on stage. And I just started monologuing as, as, as if I was writing a monologue for a character. And before I knew it, the monologue, people were laughing, they were engaged. Uh, and then as I was monologuing, I thought to myself, okay, in the moment, if I were writing this as a scene, what would happen next in the scene? And I thought, well, this person is in a dentist office. There would be someone coming in, a, a client to see the dentist. So I instantly jumped to a different part of the stage and I became that client coming in. And I just started spewing out dialogue for this scene. And it ended after maybe 10 minutes. So it was like basically this 10 minute play that I just wrote out loud where I was different characters. And everyone in the room went wild. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had of people supporting me in a room. Like they were standing, they were whooping, they were cheering, and then everyone wanted to talk to me after. So it was the, it was the complete Cinderella story. Wow, there wasn't a trophy big enough for, the, for your fearlessness. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's but amazing. It, it, but it really was my fear of of not of knowing I wasn't ever going to come back. Yeah. It was the fear of knowing that I wasn't going to get the courage to come back that drove me to try. That's amazing. That's because so many people would have just kept right on walking. I think, mm. um, and to get up on stage and just—that's the thing for for all of us in the performing arts and you know, theater included. And, and it's just that's us up there. You know, it's our words up there. It's, it's yeah. as an actor, it's our interpretation and it's our commitment to making people believe. As a director, it's creating that vision that, that takes those words and uses those actors. And oh my gosh, because um, everything up there is we is us taking a chance yes. on our own instincts, on our own artistic talent, on our you know our own dreams. You know, and seeing if it flies and yours obviously flew and <laughs> now you do this, what, more often? How often do you do these kind of mashugana things? Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it started uh, from that night. Uh, people in the city started booking me for their shows. Um, my show morphed so that um, my style was I would go up on stage and instead of asking for a suggestion, uh, I, I, I wanted to involve the audience because I wanted it to be more personal. So I would have a volunteer join me on stage and I would have them position my body in any position that they wanted, uh, which gets the audience involved and, yeah. and very active. And then they would leave the stage and I would just start moving around in that posture and then I would start monologuing as whatever character I thought would have that physicality and then the world would build from there 
Um, and I started doing more and more shows. I did it then in Amsterdam. Uh, like it, it just grew and grew and grew. And I've now brought that into my playwriting where if I'm ever stuck, uh, I will read my dialogue out loud. I will walk as my character. I will try to embody the character and see what comes out of me yeah. physically. That's amazing. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, it, it, all, it all feeds into each other. Like yeah. the counseling, the improv, uh, the playwriting, it, 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 it all just feeds into each other. That's, that's amazing. You're, you're, you're like this little nexus of all these things that beautifully fit together. Congratulations. That's great. Oh, thanks, George. Thank you. I have one more subject that I want to talk to you about. And yeah. you can probably guess what it is because I first heard about you on Facebook when you made the announcement that you were the uh, latest winner of the Mildred Albert Panowski Playwriting Competition. Yes. And as the winner from 2001 and a dramaturg for them twice, uh, you walked into one of the best things that can ever happen to a playwright. Um, oh, yeah. What, yeah. What has this been like for you? Because my experience was... It saved me. The reason I am still a playwright, okay, um, is because of that. I got three rejection slips in the mail the same day. Then no. I got the phone call. Um, and the first, you know, and, and, and Panowski, Dr. Panowski, when he said that I was the winner, I said, are you shitting me? Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. And, oh. you know, what was this process like for you? Because you went up and they, they did a week of, of dramaturging your work, didn't they? Complicated Hope yes. is the play, right? Yes, yes. The play is called A Complicated Hope. And I have to say, George, also, you, after I put that out on Facebook, you were one of the first people to to write me and to uh, connect with me. And it it made the experience so much better because um, it, 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 I was very nervous about, well, how do I make the most of this experience? Mm -hmm. uh, it is, it's such a big opportunity. And uh, the fact that you've reached out meant a lot. Uh, and the fact that you have dramaturged for them, uh, that you won that award previously. Um, so again, thank you for that. Um, uh, the award itself is, it's such a huge honor and it's for, even though I've never had the joy of talking to Dr. Panowski, he, he passed uh, yeah, before yeah, I yeah. won the award, of course. Um, uh, I feel like my reaction to him would have been the same as your reaction, because for me, this play, it, it came from such a deeply personal space that I wasn't sure anyone would even want to read it. Uh, because I thought it was just a bit, a bit of a, of a strange play. It explores uh, grief and tragedy, but also connection. Mm -hmm. But with, um, uh, but where it, it came from for me um, was from a loss in my own life, and I, I just thought this was just a personal project. This was something for me, and so the right. fact that it resonated with others, I was surprised and I was so excited and honored. That's probably why it did, because you wrote it straight from the heart. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah I, I really wrote it for myself. Yeah. So um, for all the, all the folks out there who are not lucky enough to have won this competition, <clears throat> uh, talk to us about what the process is like. You went up there for a week, and... How, how were you received? What, what happened? 
Yeah, so so be, because of you know COVID times, uh, we had to do that aspect of it virtually. Okay, all right. Uh, so you, but, but it was uh, it, it was I think you could still do so much virtually that resonates as, as strongly and as deeply as you could otherwise. Uh, because one of the joys of it was I was able to work with an actress, Kimberly Ridgway, uh, who was this phenomenal producer, director, actress uh, in a different part of the country uh, that she was able to to be part of the cast. And so the that's one positive aspect of the virtual is you yeah. have this team that doesn't need to fly into the same location. Mm-hmm. So um, getting into the nitty gritty of the script and uh, the dramaturgy, the rehearsals, um, the discussions around the play, uh, it helped shape the play to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, getting ready for its actual world premiere uh, at Northern Michigan University later this mm-hmm. year, um, which I'll say, it's on my website, but it's going to be June 8 to 12. Okay. Is, is when it's out. Um, I learned a lot about the play in that process, uh, particularly about the flow and the structure uh, of the going from scene to scene. And because this play jumps in time. And I don't exactly give a roadmap. Uh, and the audience, of course, is not reading the play as they're watching. And so I had to put enough into the play scene to scene that I wanted the audience to work a bit to understand where we are and what's going on, but not so much that they weren't enjoying it at the same time. And that's a really hard thing to do as a writer because what makes sense to me might not make sense to you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we write our plays and we throw them out on the page and we're so happy we've given birth. And somebody else looks at it and go, your kid's a little ugly. Um, or this doesn't make sense or I don't understand that was this the first time you've worked with a a professional dramaturg yes um yeah and I'm what's funny is with that same play I'm working with a dramaturg now as well um the play is uh will have a virtual reading actually locally here in Atlanta but it's going to be uh virtual so it's open to the world which makes me again so excited uh it's through uh, two great organizations here uh theatrical outlet and working title playwrights uh they they selected it and I'm working with the dramaturg now uh and so I've just started that process. And so uh, I'm excited to see where it goes and what now happens with the play with a different dramaturg, a different team. Um, uh, but that that I would love for anyone out there listening, it is a free reading. I'd love for you to, um, to tune into that as well. It's on February 23rd. Cool. Well, we'll want details on that. Um, which actually right now, since I'm the master of segues again, we're going to close up. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it's been so much fun meeting you and talking with you. I wish we could do like another hour on this. Um, oh my gosh. There's uh, nothing better than playwrights talking about writing. I know, right? For other playwrights, everybody else is like, what's in the fridge? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, this, this is ab- absolutely wonderful. This is, uh, you're so interesting. You've got so much going on there. So, and because of that, Tell our audience where they can find you, find out more information about you, websites, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it happens to be, um, so we can go find out more things, maybe. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, the best place is uh, I finally created a website. I don't know why I waited so long, because uh, it's great to have one place for everything. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, my website, I, I update it constantly. So everything's there. It's maybeplays.com. And it's M-A-B-E-Y. And the uh, plays is a bit of a play on words because it's playwriting, but it's all forms of play. So mm-hmm. I'll put everything there about my improv, any upcoming um, you know, play improv anything i'll put there storytelling okay Um, and then um oh and then on that website you'll find links to like all the socials uh i basically um i'm on instagram a lot and it used to be a personal account but now it's all about playwriting too because i feel like they're the same like i am john the playwright and it is my life so jay maybe on instagram as well yeah playwriting does take over doesn't it yeah yeah Cool. This has been so much fun. Thank you so, so, so much for doing this. And good luck with the readings and uh, the Panowski and Complicated Hope and everything else you're going to come up with. And maybe we'll have a chance to talk again. George, thank you so much. I would love to chat again. Also, to see you in person one day as well. I would love that. Have a cup of coffee and just chat. That'd be great. It's going to be several cups of coffee. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, By all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.